I'm Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Oh, man. I know what you're thinking right now. I can't believe K-Dot hit me with the showbiz and AG. Well, yeah, most certainly did it. I want to welcome you to the second liberated episode of Making a Difference. I am your host, Ken Macon. So glad you decided to check in with me today. Shout out to everybody who's listening in on iTunes. That's right. We are in the building. Official with it. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play. Be patient. We're coming back with the Google Play here very shortly. Just very excited about everything that's going on. Again, you're listening to Making a Difference. We want to let you know that MAD is being brought to you by the Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard in Augusta, Georgia. If you're looking for affordable health care and a pharmacy that you can trust, look no further. The Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Also making differences being brought to you by TaxWise Financial at 2664 Tobacco Road in Hempstead. Professional and affordable representation. The wise choice for all your tax needs as TaxWise Financial, 706-305-1412, 706-305-1412. Also want to shout out my good friends. Over the Urban Pro Weekly newspaper. Urban Pro Weekly is available on Facebook. Uh, they are online. And uh, if you're in Augusta, Richmond County, Georgia, uh, you can go to uh, your local Circle K or a K a gas station and pick up a copy of UPW. Why is that significant? Uh, the uh, Making a Difference, we do a weekly column in Urban Pro Weekly. You can read that. Also, we had a chance to cover the NAACP Journey for Justice. So I have a write-up in UPW this week in regards to that. So pick up your copy of UPW. Man, ready to jump into this episode. I really want to address the NAACP's journey for justice. I want to talk about the importance of it. It kind of came and and went through this area. Didn't really hear a lot about it. Was a, a little disappointed in regards, but hey, we'll take care of that here on MAD. But before we jump into that, I want to talk about the news that has really swept the country. That is the story, of course, about the uh, the gunman, former reporter, uh, who fatally shot himself after killing uh, two of his colleagues on air. Vester L. Flanagan II, uh, who police say killed uh, two WDBJ TV journalists while they were on the air, uh, died at a hospital uh, Wednesday afternoon of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, Flanagan, a former reporter, killed two of the Roanoke TV station's employees, Allison Parker and Adam Ward, live on air uh, before taking off in a gray 2009 Ford Mustang uh, to the uh, Roanoke Blacksburg Regional Airport. There, he ditched the Mustang and drove away in the Chevrolet Sonic that he had rented earlier in the month. Just a, 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 a totally sad case. And as I'm looking through this story, uh, it's, it's ironic from my perspective because uh, the uh, there's a Augusta County uh, in that area. I had no idea about that, but... You know, being, being from this area, I look at, I mean, it being being in the media, I mean, that brings it home enough for me. But man, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this situation and I just want to say, first and foremost, my prayers, uh, my condolences and my thoughts go out to uh, certainly the families of those reporters. I, I, it just, it really just speaks to the times uh, more than anything when you see uh, something like this happen, you know, and whether it's a it's a movie theater, whether you know you're sitting down watching the news, you just never know when these type of events are going to strike. And for me, that's why I really commit myself uh, to being aware of my surroundings, of knowing what's going on, 
Obviously, people are, are in a state of shock, and rightfully so. It's very understandable. But what I always say is, as soon as this story gets out of the media cycle, gets out of the news, then people are going to go back to you know what what they're used to, what they what they always are going to. And I say, and I believe that at this point in time, you do that at your own peril, not necessarily you know at the risk of your own life, even though that could certainly be um, a circumstance. But just knowing what's going on and just being involved with the, with the process, whether it's a political process, you know, whether it's just, you know, knowing what your kids are doing, knowing how, what's going on, you know, with your family members. I, I just, I just, I believe it's very prudent to know what's going on. And speaking about this situation specifically, it disappoints me because as soon as this happened, you had two uh, white journalists and you had an African-American uh, reporter who said he you know, took these actions uh, because he felt like he needed to respond to Dylan Roof. Felt like he uh, needs to respond to what happened. We know at the Charleston Church said he, you know, was tired of being discriminated against because he was uh, supposedly gay and African American. There's, n- I mean, there's no excuse, no excuse for what for what happened uh, in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, this man was obviously sick. Um, I, you know, we, but before we get to, you know, people are are already, you know, going to that. Uh, again, going going to rhetoric. Uh, Breitbart.com. It's a right wing, look wing nut, <laughs> uh, conservative viewpoint is saying you know how this was a a race shooting and v- very disappointing that people would have would engage in that type of commentary before you know finding out the entirety of the situation. And I'm gonna actually use that point to jump into the conversation about the NAACP journey for justice. It is a historic 860-mile march from Selma, Alabama to Washington, D.C. The idea is to mobilize activists and advance a focused national advocacy agenda that protects the rights of every American to a fair criminal justice system, uncorrupted and unfettered access to the ballot box, sustainable jobs with a living wage, and equitable public education. The tour is under the mantra of our lives, our votes, our jobs, and our schools matter. You can actually follow the journey on social media using the hashtag Justice Summer. The uh, journey for justice is traveling through uh, the states of Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and then Washington, D.C. In Alabama, the focus was on economic inequality. In Georgia, the focus was on education reform. In South Carolina, the focus is on criminal justice reform. In North Carolina, the focus will be on voting rights. In Virginia, there's going to be a youth rally. And in Washington, D.C., there's going to be a full advocacy agenda. Now, let me say this, because when I originally heard that the NAACP was going to do this, I had a mixed response. And the reason why I had that mixed response is because I truly believe the civil rights movement, um, as currently constructed based on the history of the movement and, and where we are today, I do believe that the movement needs to evolve in some ways. At the same time, I understand that, you know, people identify, you know, with marching, identify with the NAACP in this way. So I went out for myself to see and hear, you know, some of the viewpoints. And I'm actually going to share some of those viewpoints with you at this time. I had a chance to speak with uh, Dr. Beulah Nash Tichi, who was the president of the Augusta NAACP. I had a chance to speak with her 
she uh, spoke very poignantly about the uh, importance of this movement and the relevance of this movement in the 21st century. You know, we say that freedom is not free, someone has to pay. And I think the same way justice. Justice is an entity that everyone should be privy to. But we know that justice is not always fair. Therefore, being a part of the group, we feel that we have to march to try to ensure that justice is is prevail, that everyone understands the need that everyone should have their justice, the education system, our voting rights, equal pay, education. Those are all equal opportunities that we all should should share. But we know that everyone is not always uh, provided the opportunity to have a fair education. Uh, the criminal justice is not always fair. So I think that marching and walking with the group, there's a bond, there's unity. Many people in the community along the path came out and gave us a thumbs up knowing that they could not be there, but appreciate those who were able to be there. That's awesome. I also want to ask you, I couldn't help but notice you all were traveling on uh, Jefferson Davis Highway. It, it, is, yeah. uh, it is commonly known as Aiken uh, Augusta Highway, but it's, it's named after a, a Confederate general. I mentioned that because you have some people that say, well, you know, we don't need this march. Um, you know, people marched 50 years ago. We're in a post-racial America. What do you say to those type of responses and to the people that say, you know, th- these type of actions are needed? that occurred 60 years ago, they're still prevalent. As the president, I receive phone calls on a regular basis from injustice that people are receiving and jobs on work as they go different places. So everyone does not have the same privilege of being able to say there's not a need. Yes, some have been able to overcome but what about our sisters and brothers that are still struggling? Therefore, I believe that the it's still very relevant that we have to support those who are not able to support, not able to march, not able to advocate for themselves, who feel disenfranchised. So that is the purpose. Uh, you know, people will say that there was not a need for a black, black president or for whatever, but. I think that uh, justice and being able to fight is a personal issue that everyone should be able to look at and analyze for themselves. Is this something that I really, really believe in? Do I want to be able to go out and fight for those who are less privileged? And for me, the answer was yes. To talk with Jemiah Adams. Jemiah Adams is the NAACP's digital, digital media director. And she also had some very profound and great comments in regards to this very important march. America's Journey for Justice is an 866-mile march from Selma, Alabama to Washington, D.C. We're marching under the mantra of our lives, our jobs, our votes, and our schools matter. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Our lives, our votes, our jobs, and our schools matter. So Cornell William Brooks, our president and CEO, uh, came up with this concept because he feels like with all of the challenges for criminal justice, 
we have African-American men and women being killed by uh, police authorities um, almost you know, 24 to 48 hours each day. We have voting rights challenges in the five states that we are marching through, and we have a decimation to the Voting Rights Act. So he decided that there's no better way to challenge our lawmakers to advocate for what's right, to advocate for changes um, in the law. We want to try and get the in-racial profiling law passed um, so that our young people won't be profiled, our old people won't be profiled. Here in South Carolina, we had Walter Scott killed. He was a 50-year-old African-American man who was profiled. And we feel that federal um, laws can help to uh, change some of these uh, assaults on our civil rights as a people. That's a very great perspective. I want to ask you, just in terms of, of the relevance, um, you know, of, and, and you've already alluded to it, mm -hmm. but I mean, during a time of, of great social unrest, I mean, comparatively speaking, you all, of course, started in Selma 50 years ago. Um, there was a, a, a similar movement, a similar march in terms of, of the civil rights movement. I want to ask you this. Um, you have some people that say, well, the civil rights movement was 50 years ago. Help people to understand how that movement is still continuing on today. Sure. So we are continuing to have assaults against our civil rights, and that's why we're out here marching. Some may say that this is an old-fashioned way to protest against those assaults, but when people see that people are peacefully protesting, peacefully walking 866 miles to advocate for change, they'll be more likely to listen to them. People can write an email, they can send a tweet, they can call their representatives, but when their representatives know that these folks have walked 866 miles, more miles than any American, any person in the country has ever walked in order to advocate for change, then they'll pay a little bit more mind, more attention to what they're asking for and know that these are serious concerns. So the fight continues right now and that's why we're out here putting boots on the ground. That's what Mr. Brooks believes in and that's what we're doing today. Now that you have heard from Dr. Nash Tichi as well as Ms. Adams, I want to tell you why I personally believe that this movement is so vitally important uh, to where we are right now in our communities, and I will bring this thing very close to home. I am a resident of North Augusta, South Carolina. I was born and raised in uh, what's known as the Central Savannah River area or the CSRA. It's, a, it's traditionally uh, the area uh, that's limited to Georgia, but the media in recent years has really expanded it to the Georgia, South Carolina area. Nevertheless, the NAACP, when, they, when a journey for justice came through the two-state area, when I met up with them last Saturday, we actually met up on a highway that was named after the president of the Confederate States of America. Some of you may know it as the Aiken Augusta Highway. Um, it is also named the Jefferson Davis Highway. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a certain intersection uh, where the... Uh, where the members of the NAACP and, you know, supporters and marchers, whoever took part, marched past a small monument with a pair of Confederate flags uh, honoring Jefferson Davis. And to me, it just really uh, juxt uh, is, is a good way to, to juxtapose, you know, this conversation. You have folk who are marching, you know, in the journey for justice or for a journey for justice. And then you have some people who simply do not want to let go of a racist, hateful, uh, conquered past, if you ask me. And let me talk about that as well, because I've seen in the last two months, 
uh, being, again, a resident of South Carolina, I saw a about a 20-car rally uh, with individuals who were flying the Confederate flags. It was a Confederate flag rally. I saw a there was a similar rally uh, that was led by a car that had the Gadsden flag. The Gadsden flag is the flag with the snake that says, don't tread on me. It's a flag that is most familiar with the Tea Party and with that movement. And this is, unfortunately, this is where we are uh, in this country right now. You know, we're uh, at a point where, you know, everything is tit for tat. It's, you know, the NAA, some, some people see the NAACP, and I have heard this commentary. I have seen this commentary on social media. Some people think that the uh, NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, they call it the black man's KKK. The insensitivity that comes with a comment like that. Because the NAACP is an organization that's based on equality and equity. There is no element of supremacy that comes with the NAACP. Conversely, when you look at the Ku Klux Klan and what it what has represented and continues to represent is not only supremacy, but flat out hatred, not just against African Americans, but against other parties who in recent years have seen support uh, from the government, that have have seen support from the media. You know, when you talk about um, women's rights, when you talk about, you know, gays, when you talk about all of these different types of things. So it just it just goes to show that people really don't have a grasp uh, societally of, of where we are and what's going on. I am glad that I had a, t- a chance to take part in the NAACP Journey for Justice. It really goes you know, in line with just some of my personal views on civil rights, on some of the discussions that really, that we really need to have. You know, when we talk about law enforcement, when we talk about the environment, when we talk about education, it really speaks to, you know, disparities. It speaks to the need to have those real conversations um, about socioeconomics. And I believe all of these things go hand in hand. And going back, and I'll I'll address this very quickly, um, and and with the situation with the media, and what what will happen with those reporters? You know, people, to me, need to perpetually understand what's going on with the media. I I see the media now as an entity that not only uh, is inadequate in sharing profound news with the community, but the bits and pieces that they do share, they're so charged, they're so uh, sensitized that you lose the essence of what's going on. And I, I anticipate that, we'll, that we will even see that in the spirit of what happened in Roanoke, Virginia, and that that will become more of a racial conversation than a conversation about two, uh, two journalists, two, you know, uh, I, as near as I can tell, intelligent, um, engaging people who were taken from us, people who were dedicated and committed um, to serving their community through the media. But we won't hear that. We'll hear about how some black guy sh- um, shot, you know, two white folk. And that and that will be the extent of that. No. Um, to me, um, as a as a member of the media, you know, it's 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 eye opening. Because you have someone who and, and this was a you know, you can say it was an isolated incident. You can say that, you know, it had to do with a, a personal vendetta. But the fact remains is that these two individuals went to work you know, presumably, you know, told their families, you know, I love you, I'm, you know, thinking they were going to come back home, and they didn't. 
Uh, it's you know it's 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 similar, and I I emphasize that word similar um, to you know the um, the folk who thought that you know uh, down at Mother Emanuel thought they were going to Bible study, thought they would come back uh, home, and did not. But there again, we have not seen at, at this juncture. And I know there is a 23-page manifesto that's out there um, in, in regards to uh, to the shooter in question, Vester uh, Flanagan. But I, there is a, a clear distinction uh, in this individual versus Dylan Roof. And not only Dylan Roof, I believe it is most prudent uh, as we talk about Dylan Roof um, to talk about those uh, the, the culture, those individuals, um, groups, uh, hate groups in this country that help to form some of this young man's reason. And, I, and, and to me, that has to be a very important part of the discussion. But my challenge to you all listening uh, to making a difference today is don't just get into the news when something bad happens. Uh, always be engaged in the news. I understand, you know, some of you all's work schedules make it very difficult, but we are in a period right now, just like it's easy for you to hop on Facebook and, you know, check on social media. Commit yourself at least, I would say at least 15 to 20 minutes a day to just get a wide range of understanding in terms of what's going on with the news, what's going on, you know, not only uh, national news and, and state news, but local news to know what's going on in your community. And with that, we're going to go to commercial. Stick with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. I just can't reconcile. How somebody can celebrate the death of a black man one day and then show up in church on Sunday. Anyway, this is going to be a long song if I don't get right into it. Cain killed his brother, and to God he denied the act. It makes me wonder, maybe Cain was white and Abel was black. When Abel's blood cried to God, Cain was cursed from the earth. It just reminded me how slaves laid this nation's groundwork. We blacks celebrate our black because our black is put down. You're in denial if you wonder why we put our foot down. Once the smile falls your lead, start fresh with no memory. Maybe once you swallow your pride and it makes you cause misery. Clan wizardry, the truth is so ugly you change the history. Standing there demanding that we live up to your imagery. Don't call us thugs and gangsters until after you thank us. Because our ancestors laid your bricks and planted your acres. Oh, you can handle some profanity, but don't say reparations. All that free labor, imagine us having some wealth saved up. But thanks to you who, so do what we all know to be true. We make do and sit through criticisms from you. Criticizing how we breathe and how we beat from our hearts. Criticizing how we brought upon the streets for our arts. Criticizing how we breathe and how we beat from our hearts. Criticizing how we draw upon the streets for our arts. Support my life. I just want you to support my life. My God-given right to be alive. To feel human for the first time would be amazing. To feel human for the first time would be amazing. I just want you to support my life. I just, I just want you to support my life. I just want you to support my life. Support my life. Support my life. This one goes out to none but the righteous or self-righteous who recognize that God created us and still don't like us. Who love God but hate their brothers and sisters. Hear the cries from the victims but dismiss us. They call themselves Christians. How can you be a follower but won't listen to Jesus talking? Self-exalting instead. Talking heads. What kind of human spit on the street when they talk a man dead? Not even hell's angels. The hatred in your soul got your spirit strangled. The lies you told got history mangled. Teaching manifest destiny from a heroic angle. With slavery as an aside, with an asterisk, because of you that Black Lives Matter hashtag exists. The lesson you've been teaching us is that our value is determined by depleting us. So when you bring up our faults, you words ain't reaching us. Cause at our best you see us as demons, our skin is something, and need a cleaning. 
It seems like racial slurs will turn your teeth together To match your belly Your eyes green from the jealousy or greed maybe You brought us ownership but have trouble pronouncing ownership And the only time you stutter is when the truth is on your lips And the only time you stutter is when the truth is on your lips Support my life I just want you to support my life My God-given right to be alive to feel human for the first time would be amazing. To feel human for the first time would be amazing. I just want you to support my life. I just, I just want you to support my life. I just want you to support my life. Support my life. Support my life. We tried Wall Street, but you wouldn't let us come on y'all street. We tried dressing all neat, but you hated our feet when we went and marched to y'all beat. Burned our businesses and hid all the evidence of the incident and played innocent. We tried Sunday service. In the 60s, you bombed the churches. In Charleston, you shot us up while we worship. Now our body sacrificed to finally make you consider our feelings. To make you see how symbolism interferes with our healing. We put on cleats, you said we need our own league to compete. We put on combat boots and finally got the salute. But y'all assaulted our communities, we threatened to shoot. All of a sudden, guns were dangerous. You started regulating them, yeah. But now you love guns, now you're all into conspiracy. Before the black president, there was zero talk of tyranny. Chess, always on your motives. Not your conscience, most likely dollars and cents. I'm never convinced. What really made you change? You say Martin touched your heart, but integration was a profit potential from the start. That's why you didn't murder King until he tried to end poverty. He kept the fires from starting, protected your property. Kept your profit margin from having thoughts of departing. I want to call America home, but it's the hardest. I wish you cared about us as much as God does. The way you act is like you forgotten him, but he ain't forgot us. Support my life. I just want you to support my life. My God-given right to be alive. To feel human for the first time would be amazing. To feel human for the first time would be amazing. I just want you to support my life. I just, I just want you to support my life. I just want you to support my life. Support my life. Support my life. I love God and hateth his brother. He is a liar. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. We're back uh, with the health and wellness portion of our broadcast. I want to talk about cutting calories and staving off age-related disease. Uh, smaller portions can actually lower heart disease and diabetes risk. I want to encourage you all to make sure that you're healthy in your golden years by eating a little less every day. That's what a new study from the U.S. National Institute on Aging, or NIA, suggests. Uh, the results are, quote, quite intriguing, according to study co-author uh, Dr. Evan Hanley, who's the director of geriatrics and clinical uh, gerontology at the NIA, said in a release. They showed that this degree of sustained calorie restriction can influence disease risk factors and possible predictors of longevity in healthy, non-obese people. Uh, the researchers randomly assigned more than 200 healthy, young, or middle-aged adults to, enter, to either a calorie restriction group or a control group that continued regular eating habits. Uh, earlier animal studies have shown calorie restriction uh, or consuming fewer calories while still getting essential nutrients extends longevity and shows the progression of many age-related diseases, according to researchers. Uh, for the study, the participants were given a target of 15, a uh, little over 15% weight loss in the first year. Uh, to accomplish this, they had to reduce their calorie intake by 25%, and they were asked to maintain their weight in the second year of the study. Uh, in the study's first year, the people in this group lost an average of 10% of their body weight. Uh, they maintained this weight loss over the second year. And even though they missed the weight loss goal, uh, researchers said it was the largest sustained weight loss seen in any dietary trial 
in non-obese people. That's very impressive. And, and though the average 12% reduction in calorie intake fell short of the 25% target, the participants maintained calorie restriction for the entire two years of the study. Uh, the calorie restriction group so, showed significant improvements in several predictors of heart disease, including a 6% decrease in total cholesterol, a 4% reduction in blood pressure, and uh, increased levels of good cholesterol. They also had a 47% decrease in levels of C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation linked to heart disease, and reduced insulin resistance, which is, of course, a risk factor for diabetes. And levels of a marker of thyroid activity fell by more than 20%. This may be telling because some studies have suggested lower thyroid activity may be associated with longevity. Uh, continuing on, uh, all the study results weren't great. Uh, some of the people in the calorie restriction group uh, developed temporary anemia and some experienced larger than exp expected decreases in bone density. Uh, the study authors say these findings highlight the need for medical monitoring during calorie restriction. Uh, Dr. Hadley himself said more research is needed to see if calorie restriction offers additional long-term benefits. What I would suggest, and obviously this is just my, my personal opinion, not a, a medical expert, it seems like some of the, the symptoms, uh, some of the negative symptoms, a way to alleviate them may be the possible use of supplements. But it's promising uh, to look at, uh, and, and something that it seems like common sense, uh, but the idea that smaller portions could lower heart disease. I also want to talk about the cost of diabetes drugs. Uh, it's often overlooked. Uh, there's a lot uh, that's you know, talked about in regards to prescription drug prices in general, particularly for other illnesses. But you know, when you think about the African-American community and how um, our community is really uh, disproportionately affected when you talk about hypertension, high blood pressure, and uh, ultimately and invariably diabetes, you know, it's the, the cost of those drugs are not talked about as much, but some of the numbers here are very startling. Uh, when it comes to uh, treating chronic conditions, diabetes drugs aren't nearly as popular or um, talked about uh, nearly as much as uh, Solvaldi. Uh, Solvaldi is uh, last year's breakthrough uh, hep uh, hepatitis C drug that offers a cure for the chronic liver infection um, at a price approaching six figures. Uh, yet an estimated 29 million people have diabetes about 10 times the number of people of hep C, and many of them will take diabetes drugs for the rest of their lives. Uh, cost increases for both old and new drugs alike are forcing many consumers to scramble to pay for them. Uh, they, uh, in this uh, article, they spoke to Dr. Joel uh, Zonsine, uh, who's an uh, endocrinologist, who's the director of the Clinical Diabetes Center in New York City, uh, the Monte Fior Medical Center. He says, every week I see patients who can't afford their drugs. Uh, many people with diabetes take multiple drugs that work in different ways to control their blood sugar. Although some of the top-selling diabetes drugs like metformin are modestly priced generics, new brand-name drugs continue to be introduced that act in different ways. They may be more effective and have fewer side effects, but it often comes at a price. For the fourth year in a row, spending on diabetes drugs in 2014 was higher on a per-member-per-year basis than it was for any other class of traditional drug according to the Express Scripts 2014 Drug Trend Report. Less than half of the prescriptions filled for diabetes treatments were generic. Dr. Glenn Stetton, MD, uh, who's the Senior VP for Clinical Research and New Solutions uh, at Express Scripts, which is a, a third-party entity that manages pharmacy benefits for many companies, uh, said the cost of diabetes treatment has been increasing pretty rapidly. A number of factors contribute to the overall cost increase, uh, the doctor said, including price increases for brand-name drugs, 
the fact that people are often on complicated treatment regimens of three or even four drugs and that more people with diabetes are receiving treatment. Before I continue on with this story, I often find it startling when people say that they are on uh, multiple drugs, you know, three, four, five drugs at a time. In my experiences and in talking uh, with people not only in healthcare, but talking with people, you know, who uh, have had diabetes, you know, who have diabetes, generally what they say is, you know, the less drugs that you're on, the better. Obviously, you know, you take, you know, what the doctor gives you uh, or, you know, within reason. But it's also important to, li to live a healthier uh, lifestyle, particularly as a means to kind of wean yourself off of those drugs, not only from a, a cost-effective standpoint, but just in the terms of, you know, after a while, you really start to develop a dependence. Uh, you see people with a lot of grudginess and they're, just, they're not able to get back to, to who they are, to, um, you know, to uh, a, a good quality of life. At any rate, let's get into the specifics of the cost. Um, an uh, analysis of per capita health care spending in 2013 for people with diabetes found average costs were $14,999, almost $15K, uh, roughly $10,000 higher than the average $4,300 in per capita spending for people without the disease. Uh, the study by the Healthcare Cost um, Institute examined the healthcare claims of nearly 40 million individuals younger than age 65 who had employer-sponsored insurance with one of three large insurers. Higher claim costs uh, were reflected in higher out-of-pocket costs for people with diabetes as well. Uh, they spent just over $1,900 on average for deductibles, co-payments, and co-insurance in 2013, compared with $738 for people without diabetes. Uh, Dr. Zonsign recalled how costs played out earlier uh, this month for one of his patients. Um, she asked, excuse me, the patient, uh, who's a she, asked um, the doctor about switching to a less expensive insulin drug than Lantus, which cost her $160 a month. In addition to Lantus, the 69-year-old woman takes the diabetes drug Janumet, which works in a different way than insulin to lower blood sugar, and she is using drugs to control her high cholesterol and high blood pressure. Uh, the doctor's patient has drug coverage through Medicare, but because of her large purchases of medications, she has reached the Medicare donut hole, uh, where many beneficiaries are responsible for paying a larger percentage of the cost of their drugs. Uh, in 2015, the coverage gap starts when both consumer and drug plan have spent um, just under $3,000 on covered, covered drugs and ends when spending reaches $4,700, which is the out-of-pocket maximum. At that point, uh, what's called catastrophic coverage kicks in, and the drug plan picks up nearly all of the cost of any drugs. Uh, the coverage gap is shrinking as part of the federal health law. Dr. Zonsign and his patient decided that since her diabetes is well-controlled on her current drug regimen and she is just two months away from leaving the donut hole, she would dig into her savings in order to afford her current medications. That's scary. Um, he said that this is becoming over um, year over year more um, of a problem. Uh, insurers and pharmacy benefit managers have increasingly devoted resources toward managing patients' prescription drugs. Requiring patients to try an older, cheaper drug before approving a newer one is common practice, as are prior authorization rules that require providers to get approval before prescribing pricey drugs. Uh, diabetes occurs quite simply when the body can't control the amount of sugar in the blood. Uh, because of problems making or responding to the hormone insulin, uh, which allows cells to use sugar or glucose for energy. Uh, high levels of blood sugar can cause damage to the heart and blood vessels, nerves, kidneys, eyes, and feet, among other things. Um, about 90% of people who have diabetes have type 2 diabetes, which is linked to lifestyle factors such as obesity and inactivity. Uh, type 1 diabetes, which was once called juvenile diabetes, 
commonly develops among children. Uh, insulin was considered a wonder drug when it was discovered in 1921. Uh, it remains a mainstay of treatments for millions of patients, and yet decades after its introduction, there are still no generic forms of insulin available. And that's where I'm going to jump in here uh, as, <laughs> you know, really someone who speaks, uh, you know, speaking on, on community interests and understanding the high cost of healthcare. And I believe that there there is a reason for that. Is I mean that would be a that would be a significant game changer um, in the healthcare industry if you could go to you know your local drugstore and you know pick up a, an insulin uh, you know in, in, uh, insulin drugs so or, or you know generic insulin drugs man that would be I mean that'd be major uh, incremental improvements in existing insulin drugs have extended their patent protection in some cases and some older versions of drugs are no longer sold in the U.S. That's according to uh, Dr. Jeremy Green, uh, who is a professor of medicine and history um, of medicine at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, increasingly, drug manufacturers are developing close copies of the um, biologic drugs that are made with living cells. Uh, what's called biosimilar drugs may provide some relief, some relief from high cost. The Food and Drug Administration recently established a regulatory pathway for biosimilar drugs to gain approval, and drug experts suggest that as insulin patents expire, uh, biosimilar insulins could reduce the price by up to 40%. But there again, you have to ask and inquire about at what cost. You know, is it is it at the cost of, you know, profound and, and positive health care? Just want to share those stories with you in regards to diabetes as well as calorie restriction. At the end of the day, it's, it's really a coming upon us. I know we have busy lives, busy schedules. You know, your work schedule makes it difficult for you. You know, you got, if you work, you got kids, it's always something that seemingly keeps you from exercising, seemingly keeps you from eating, you know, eating uh, healthy. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't um, set aside the time and set aside, in some cases, maybe a, a small bit more money, then those costs are going to come out on the other end. And it's, it's going to come at the cost of your health. So we always want to encourage you uh, to be mindful of your health. I'm going to share with you all in a later podcast a wonderful discussion uh, that we had with Wallace White, a good friend of the show. Uh, with, and he's also he works with the uh, CSRA Area Agency on Aging. They have a Faith in Aging conference that's coming up here real soon in the middle of September. I want to say September 24th, but we'll give you the specifics of that, and we'll also share that conversation with you uh, during a later podcast. When we come back, we're going to have a sports report. Huge news. Uh, regarding Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady looked Teflon Tom. And y'all know I'm going to go in on that. So come back with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. Have you gotten a letter from the IRS about an audit, levy, or tax lien? Worried because you haven't filed taxes in several years? Well, stop worrying and call the tax pros at TaxWise Financial on Tobacco Road. TaxWise Financial is licensed to represent you at all levels of the IRS in any state, from the simple to the complex. Professional and affordable representation by TaxWise Financial will help resolve all of your tax issues. Call them at 706-305-1412. TaxWise Financial, the wise choice for all your tax needs. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Uh, about to jump into the sports portion. <laughs> I I still can't, well, I won't say I can't believe it. Let me just jump into the story and let you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. A federal judge erased New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady's four-game suspension Thursday uh, for the deflate gate controversy that the NFL claimed threatened football's integrity. Uh, U.S. District Judge Richard M. Berman 
uh, said NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell uh, went too far in affirming punishment uh, of Brady, criticizing him for dispensing his, quote, uh, own brand of industrial justice. Mm. Uh, Brady has insisted uh, that he played no role in a conspiracy to deflate footballs below the allowable limit at last season's AFC Championship game. Uh, Patriots owner Robert Kraft said in a statement, he said, as I have said during this process and throughout his Patriots career, Tom Brady is a classy person of the highest integrity. He represents everything that is great about this game and this league. Uh, yet, with absolutely no evidence of any actions of wrongdoing by Tom in the Wells report, the lawyers um, at the league still insisted on imposing and defending unwarranted and unprecedented discipline. Judge Richard Berman understood this, and we are greatly appreciative of his thoughtful decision that was delivered today. Now we can return our focus uh, on the game, uh, excuse me, our focus to the game on the field. Berman's ruling, however, will not end the dispute. The league appealed the decision later Thursday. Goodell said, uh, quote, we are grateful to Judge Berman for hearing this matter, but respectfully disagree with today's decision. Uh, we will appeal today's ruling in order to uphold the collectively bargained responsibility to protect the integrity of the game. The commissioner's responsibility to secure the competitive fairness of our game is a paramount principle, and the league and our 32 clubs will continue to pursue a path to that end. The league appealed to the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Manhattan with a one-page notice from NFL attorney Daniel Nash. The league did not seek an emergency stay, freeing Brady to play while an appeals court considers the case. That could take months since the league would have to show it would suffer irreparable harm to speed up the timetable. Again, Teflon Tom <laughs> has won again, good people. If you ask me, the entire process of how Deflategate went about was so disingenuous. And, and let me explain specifically what I mean. Roger Goodell is an owner's commissioner. At no point has he done anything to suggest um, otherwise. He came in, you know, as, as the sheriff, as this cowboy, you know, I'm going to bring order and discipline to the league, this type of deal. You know, really came down hard on guys like Pac-Man and, you know, was zero tolerance toward the players. So you have this situation with Tom Brady and the, 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 well, the issue that I had a media concern about was Roger Goodell's relationship with Robert Kraft and uh, understanding the fact that they are actually good friends. And at the end of the day, you know, Roger Goodell uh, found himself between a rock and a hard place. You know, he found himself, you know, in well, what I believe was a conflict of interest, you know, with having to deal with, you know, Robert Kraft and Kraft's golden boy, who was, of course, Tom Brady. The reason why this case was dragged out is because it was the NFL offseason. Uh, this provided something for, you know, for us to talk about, you know, during the two or three months, you know, while football was down, it kept the NFL in the news. You know, we've seen stories like this in the past, for better or for worse. I believe there was, the, there was a similar dynamic that happened, you know, with the Michael Vick story. I do, I, and that is the extent of the comparison that I will make in regards to Brady versus Vick. I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, early on, I thought there would be some concerns. I thought that, you know, Brady might have to uh, suck it up and take it. But the longer uh, this process was was dragged out, the more you realize, and, and, and the more that you saw where, you know, Goodell really overstepped his bounds or boundaries. You saw that, you know, Brady probably wouldn't have, uh, you know, any time out for suspension and verily, verily. 
what I believe and, and, and what should happen here and what and where the players should demand more accountability um, from uh, individuals such as uh, DeMar, um, DeMar Smith, um, who is the other uh, representative for the uh, um, the NF, uh, NFLPA, the Players Association, because I've always said that DeMar Smith is in Goodell's back pocket. That was certainly the case when uh, the most recent CBA uh, was being established and, and renewed and brought together. But the players should look at this Tom Brady situation and understand that much, um, well, m- much, well, and I understand, hey, I understand, you know, everybody's not Tom Brady, everybody's not the golden boy, but there are rights that the players have, and it's up to you to have someone who's going to represent you as a player against the commissioner, if need be, against the owners, if need be. And make sure that you have someone out there that can that can speak um, to your concerns, that can speak to your issues. There are a number of issues in regards to safety. You know, it's not just about, you know, uh, protecting the integrity of the game, quote unquote. Uh, to me, the integrity of the game also, safety is a huge part of that, making sure that the players are, you know, as, as safe as possible in playing what is not just a contact sport. It is a collision sport that um, has really done a number on, uh, some of the league's great players. I always bring up Junior Seau. Very sad situation with happened with him. But I, looking at looking at this case, it really just shows some of the the overwhelming hypocrisy that exists with the NFL. Um, at the end of the day, Roger Goodell is not a is not a good uh, GM unless you are uh, an NFL owner. And to that into that case, you you know you love Roger Goodell. But as far as the players and as far as the fans. Uh, Roger Goodell's never done anything good for us. One, two, uh, I mentioned Michael Vick earlier. Michael Vick, of course, is playing with the Steelers now. Very happy to see Mike Vick first and foremost. Uh, look, keep cashing, keep uh, keep getting those checks, Mike. Uh, happy about him in, in that regard. But uh, again, uh, in talking about the idea of hypocrisy, uh, you certainly have to look at the case of Michael Vick and the response of the inexplicable response in my mind. Uh, of some individuals who say uh, they're disappointed with the Steelers for signing Vic, you know, in the aftermath of you know him going to to jail and serving time for a dogfight, and I really wish it would cease and desist. And the reason I say that is because, lest we forget, Michael Vic back in 2000, and this was back in 2007. It's almost been 10 years. Right? Went to jail, lost a hundred million dollars behind a dogfighting ring. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. Um, what we do what we do know and what Michael Vick has conceded is that, you know, he essentially funded a dogfighting ring and it happened on his property and he went to jail for that. Uh, whether you want to say he was a fall guy or, I, I mean, we could talk about that for a very long time. The long and the short of it is Michael Vick went to jail. He paid his debt to society. He has come back um, as an animal rights activist really as a human rights activist, uh, and, I, and I say that in terms of, you know, how he's been able to rebound. He's a great role model for kids now. Um, he seems very uh, introspective and, you know, mature about everything that's happened, has really uh, taken advantage of this second chance um, at his career. Some would say a, a second chance at life. The only people who can't wrap their um, their numb skulls around it I mean, our, and, and it's not just animal activists. I, there are some things that, that get said sometimes in sports. And I say it's in not only sports, but in society. And it's kind of code. 
and some some of that code uh, code rather has uh, has racial undertones, and sometimes in some cases it has um, racial overtones. But I'll just say this for for Mike Vick, uh, juxtaposed next to Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, the hypocrisy is that much more overwhelming. Some of the accusations that were levied against Ben Roethlisberger uh, some years back in uh, terms of the, the rape allegations. Look, people have stood behind Ben Roethlisberger. Why Michael Vick uh, is not getting that same benefit of the doubt? I mean, that <laughs> race race plays a role in that. Race matters. I'm going to tell you where race does not play a role. You have some people that are comparing Michael Vick in that situation with what has happened today with Tom Brady. Look, we got to get our heads out of the sand. There's a difference between dogfighting, there's a difference between rape allegations, and there's a difference between um, what essentially constitutes cheating. It's not comparable. As a matter of fact, to compare uh, Teflon Tom or Tom Brady, you know, getting off or whatever you want to call it, to Michael Vick and however you feel about um, what happened with Vick back in 2007, that comparison's lazy. It's not only lazy, it's lame. And if you want to you know, use Brady and Vick as an example of racial injustice, don't. There's a movement that's going on right now uh, in our society. It's a movement called Black Lives Matter. Um, it is, to me, a much more profound um, indication and implication of some of the things that are going on, you know, disparities, you know, you look at law enforcement, um, when you look at the environment, education, economics, that's that's where, to me, that's, that's where you have that discussion. Don't have that discussion on the back of Tom Brady and, you know, the bumbling, um, the bumbling commissioner of the NFL. You know, that that's that's not, to me, that's not the audience. That's not the audience and that's that's not the place for that. Just really, I'm really, really disappointed in, in the spirit of that commentary. Uh, getting ready to, to close out this uh, latest episode of Make a Difference. Going to run through some things very quickly here. Kurt Schilling uh, won't appear on ESPN uh, for the rest of the year. Um, he was removed from broadcast on August 25th after he sent a tweet equating Muslim extremists with Nazi, Nazis in Germany. Uh, this week, an email exchange between Schilling and editors of the sports blog, awful announcing regarding the tweet and subsequent reaction, were published online. Uh, ESPN said in a statement that at all times during the course of their engagement with us, our commentators are directly linked to ESPN and are the face of our brand. We are a sports media company. Uh, Kurt's actions have not been consistent with his contractual obligations, nor have they been professionally handled. They have obviously not reflected well on the company. Uh, as a result, he will not appear on ESPN through the remainder of the regular season and our wild card playoff game. After he was taken off the Low League World Series broadcast on August 25th, Schilling said in a statement, quote, bad choices have bad consequences. And this was a bad decision in every way on my part. Kurt Schilling, uh, not only <laughs> lacking financial wherewithal, but really lacking uh, just uh, sensitivity and, and needing sensitivity training. And, you know, you look at the extent of, of his career and you would say arguably, you know, his uh, shining moment or his magnum opus uh, really, you know, through the course of baseball was the, the bloody stock game. And now, you know, I go back, I look at that, and I say, you know, you have a guy here who has shown uh, really to, to lack sensitivity, you know, just not not a good steward of money, just a, a lot of red flags going up. And I, I go back to that point, I say, 
you know, was he entirely honest about that, uh, about the bloody sock thing? Did he play that up? He just, I don't know, man. So, 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 something stinks about uh, this deal with, with, with Kurt Schilling, and it makes you just, you know, look back at just the entirety of his career. And, you know, it's going to come to a point where if, if we already haven't thought less of him, uh, that is surely coming. I also want to talk about, look, the people's champion, Serena Williams. Uh, Serena Williams uh, is vying for the uh, the Grand Slam. Uh, I anticipate that she'll get it. Uh, she uh, competed recently in a uh, competitive second-round match against uh, Kiki Burtons at the U.S. Open. Uh, Serena, look, ever ever hungry to win um, after the uh, that contest was about an hour and a half. Uh, her, she and her coach uh, went back to the practice court and hit balls for almost an hour. Uh, working on her serve, which had been a source of frustration in the match. Um, she won 7-6 um, and 6-3. Uh, it was her 23rd uh, consecutive win in a major tournament this year. In the third round, she will pay, uh, play Bethany uh, Maddox-Sands, who routed Coco Vandaway 6-2, 6-1. It will be the 53rd match of the year for Serena Williams. Serena is 50-3 this year. What? Um <laughs> Uh, Serena, actually, she came back from a 4-0 deficit in the first set tiebreaker. Still, is just not pleased. Uh, she said, it definitely wasn't my happiest of moments. She said, I don't think you can ju- uh, she said, I don't think you should be happy with just winning. At least I'm not. Maybe other people can. Wow. I, you know, that's the attitude you got to have if, you know, you want to, uh, you know, reach the, the highest level of success. Just, man, looking forward to it, Serena, you know, with everything she's dealt with. You know, she she and her sister really just the. To me, it's a, it's a little disappointing some of the negative negativity you have to deal with. But I tell you, man, nothing uh, nothing beats a hater like success. What can I say? Uh, and with that, we're gonna sign off on making a difference. Look, I haven't forgotten about the NFL next Thursday. Uh, it's gonna be Patriots and Steelers. Before then, we're gonna try to get in an NFL preview run through quickly run through uh, some of the. Excuse me. We're gonna quick, uh, quickly run through. Uh, the uh, NFL uh, div- um, divisions. You know, I'll, I'll share my picks with you all. Also, you know, may throw some fantasy football tips in there. I'm kind of hesitant about that because I know some of the knuckleheads in my fantasy league will try to hear some of my tips and, and get the leg up. So I'm gonna have to, you know, be sparing. I'm gonna have to share those tips with you sparingly. But all jokes aside, I uh, just want to say I, I appreciate you guys. Love you so much. Appreciate the sponsors here. We're making a difference. Of course, that's the Medical Villa Pharmacy, uh, Tax Wise Financial. And really just people in the community continuing to support us, Urban Pro Weekly. Want to shout out my friends at Pop and Stop. Had a chance to uh, go in there today. Pop and Stop, look, the best popcorn uh, in Augusta, Richmond County, maybe even parts beyond. Um, if you haven't had a chance to stop by Pop and Stop, um, Pop and Stop is um, actually on Peach Orchard Road. Uh, it's in South Augusta. You can go to Poppin, P-O-P-P-I-N-S-T-O-P-Stop.com. You can order um, popcorn from there. It's worth it, man. Give it a try. Tell them making a difference sent you. I'm Ken Macon. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. This is Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference, and I want to let you all know about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard. They're led by pharmacists Marshall and Baron Curtis, and I tell you, they provide health care at affordable prices. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they also provide free delivery service. So if you're looking for a pharmacy in the CSRA, look no further. The Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355. I'm Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon.